1: Welcome to the show and thank you for joining us. 852 is the episode. Jesse Dollimore and Brittany Page are your hosts. I am the aforementioned Jesse Dollimore. Here is the aforementioned Brittany Page,
2: everybody. So it's Jesse's favorite event coming up this weekend. The Oscars
1: <laughs> on
2: Sunday, March twelfth.
1: Yeah, my favorite event.
2: You've you're slowly breaking off those paper cuffs on your paper chain, like they make in kindergarten for a countdown to Christmas, but yours is for the Oscars. Yeah.
1: Advent calendar McGee over here.
2: And you can't wait, right? Who who are you predicting? Who are you predicting is gonna win the best picture?
1: I think the oh, <laughs> this is Spoiler Alert, I don't give a shit about the Oscars,
2: wow. you're so you're not rolling with this at no, all. Not. you're not
1: <laughs> well, I don't want the audience to have some misapprehension about who I am.
2: You're right. It's not the Oscars that that you particularly care about. It's the the before the Oscars, the red carpets, the live <laughs> red carpet events. <laughs> That's what you're counting. Down. You're
1: you're really steeped in accuracy here. I'm you glad can't your commitment wait. to the truth is so strong. Who do you think Page? will be
2: the best dress? Forget best picture now, <laughs> since we know you don't care about the Oscars. Who is going to be the best dressed? What are you
1: wearing? No, wait, that's not the question. Who who are you wearing? They ask. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um,
2: See, you know all about actually, it. Actually, I
1: don't. I don't care about the Oscars. Uh, usually, you'll be watching, or if someone's over you guys, will. I'll be cooking while it's happening and I'm paying loose attention. It is weird, though, because this year, or I guess now that COVID has, you know, fucked up our movie watching, we used to, just by virtue of the movies that we are drawn to,
2: mm-hmm.
1: we used to watch almost all of the Oscar winners. Mm-hmm. And now, I think the only one that is in contention that we've watched is Women Talking, mm-hmm. which was fucking great, by the way. Very good. But are there any others? Do you know? Is this even what you want to talk about?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, somewhat, yes. It is related to the Oscars. Why
1: did you bring this topic up, Brittany Page?
2: Well, because we're going to talk about a survey (laughs) from Morning Consult that asked Americans on their thoughts on every Best Picture winner dating back to Wings in 1929.
1: I was going to say Wings was a TV show.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's not Paul McCartney's band. Apparently, it was a a movie from 1929. And uh, to answer your question about the movies this year, apparently there's 11 nominations for Best Picture. Hmm. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once is leading. It's expected to win. We have not watched that yet. That's on
1: like Amazon or Netflix or HBO or something right now.
2: Yes, I definitely want to, want to see it. The Banshees of Inisherin is one. Oh, we saw that. Yeah. Also very good. All Quiet on the Western Front. Those are like the two movies that are
1: That's also on Netflix, I believe.
2: It's it's primary challengers hmm. to to win Best Picture. So we have not seen have not seen those. But let's get to this survey.
1: Oh, is this going to be what dumb fuck answers people gave?
2: Well, this is the the ranked by favorability best picture winners over the years out of 94 films that were in, that were included in this survey. So we have 94 previous best picture winners included in this survey and They are ranked by favorability. So how the adults in this survey in America ranked these movies in terms of favorability. So if you had to guess, just thinking about movies over the years that have won Best Picture, which, you know, you follow the Oscars so closely, this will be totally easy for you to kind of go through the list.
1: Right.
2: What would you say is going to be at the top for a net favorability among Americans, adult Americans, I what movie is going to win them over and they're going to like the most? Well, I'm
1: trying to think about which movies have won Best Picture, and I don't have like a comprehensive list in my head. It's probably something like Citizen Kane, which I haven't seen, but is always like universally lauded as like the the creme de la creme, the the piece, the resistance, the the. The archetype for the for a for a best picture movie.
2: It is not that. Oh, uh,
1: right. And that is. Then not, I have no fucking idea.
2: That is not even in the top twenty, as I see here. So.
1: <laughs> well, again, I haven't seen it, so I don't know how dumb that would be, anyway.
2: Okay, well, audience, be thinking of what you would guess, and here I am. I'm going to give you the answer. What is at the top in terms of net favorability with a seventy six percent?
1: Well, my favorite movie. Got robbed that year of the best picture by No Country for Old Men. My favorite movie is There Will Be Blood, starring the absolutely irascible and undeniably the best actor in the world, Daniel Day-Lewis.
2: Jesse giving you more time there, audience. I don't know. I don't know. Your,
1: oh, I don't know.
2: You're not the audience. I'm talking to the oh, audience. Oh, you're asking the
1: audience this question. Yeah, you're just, just
2: melting down under I'll pressure. Just, I'm I'll not putting i back on in my
1: chair with my arms <laughs> behind my head.
2: Okay. It is Forrest Gump. Oh. Uh, what? Forrest Gump. You, you. I love Forrest Gump.
1: Uh, everyone knows you. Anybody who's known you for more than three minutes knows <laughs> you love Forrest Gump.
2: Yes, I love Forrest Remember
1: Gump. the scene when he gives the guy the idea for the have a nice day bumper sticker?
2: Oh, what a
1: great scene that was. I have was.
2: never talked about that scene. <laughs> what Jump. are you doing to me right now? <laughs> How are you representing me to people?
1: I will say before the audience turns on me, and dispatches assassins to the house. Um, I have softened on on Forrest Gump.
2: It sounds like it. In,
1: yeah. In recent years, mm-hmm. like I, there is always there are scenes that absolutely I cry at that get me every time. But I've you know, like what the like when he's talking to the Jenny's grave.
2: Whoa! Spoiler I, alert. <laughs>
1: Listen, everybody, sorry that I just spoiled the movie that was um, released in 1994. Mm -hmm. It's actually your fault. If you haven't seen Forrest Gump yet.
2: Yeah, so Forrest Gump is at the top in terms of net favorability among Americans in this survey. Titanic is second.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You got to wait till I'm done drinking coffee. You
2: almost did a spit take. Yes, that is ridiculous. Number three is Rocky. Number four four is The Godfather.
1: Not Godfather 2.
2: No, Godfather Two is like tenth. Oh, uh, what? Who? Who did they survey? Well, what's surprising to Come me on. is another movie I love and have watched many, many times. And Avatar. will we'll, no. We'll continue. Legally Blonde. No. <laughs> <laughs> and Wedding <we'll> continue- Crashers. <laughs> no, but that should have been a best. Dumb and Dumber. Oh, please, 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 please. The Silence of the Lambs.
1: Oh, for sure. Is that not on this list?
2: No, it is on this list. It's just, so Forrest Gump has a 76% net favorability rating, and The Silence of the Lambs has a 50
1: That's fucking insane. And well, first of all, just on its face of the numbering where it falls on the list is insane.
2: Yes, it. Yes, I mean, come on, it's like a toward the the twentieth slot here in the top twenty. Come on, yeah, it's and that's a fantastic movie. I can watch it over and over again. I mean, come on, Anthony Hopkins, Jodie Foster, Miggs, Miggs' performance is great. <laughs> <Miggs>.
1: <laughs> Semen flinging Miggs.
2: Okay, so. We, I guess, we'll have to just wait and see how things go on Sunday w- with the Oscars. And... What is wrong
1: with people, though? I mean, that's the overarching question here. Is it? Why don't they have better taste? <laughs>
2: um, I think that, I think this is representative of good taste. Forrest Gump is appealing to a lot of people, and it, it is a good movie. Is ha- it?
1: Is it twenty, twenty-two points? better movie than Silence of the Lambs?
2: Well, maybe people just can't handle like negative themes and Silence of the Lambs deals with psychopathy and murder and serial killers and
1: yeah, cuz we know today's society hates shows about serial killers Oof. and psychopathy. You got you me there. You just walked right <laughs> into that. I
2: totally did. Well, that's because I kind of siphon off the true crime.
1: <laughs> like that show on on, on Netflix with the, the the handsome guy from Easy A, you know?
3: Oh, Woodchuck Lobster
1: Todd. Todd. Yeah, yeah, Woodchuck Todd. <laughs>
2: Yes. Yes. No, wow. I completely failed at that. I don't Maybe they want to hear, okay. Yeah. There's I can't get it out of this.
1: <laughs> well, um we would love, I guess, to know what what you think about this. Is that convincing?
2: <laughs> yes, tell us tell us who you're looking forward to seeing on the red carpet. six
1: five seven four six four seventy six zero nine. Of course, you can email a voice memo if you must to I doubt it at domore.com. Before I move on, we want to thank our Patreon supporters and invite you to become a Patreon supporter. You can go to patreon.com slash doubt it podcast to see what's involved pick a tier for as little as two dollars a month you can help support this show and help produce what we do here every little bit goes a long way if we're able to marshal the size of our audience and get a scant percentage of all of you who listen to contribute the show could grow um in in an insurmountable immeasurable way into the future doing the interviews we want to do and just generally reaching the people that we want to reach
2: Yes, thank you very much to all of our Patreon supporters. We could not do the show without you. Now, we want to get to some follow-up. We talked on the previous episode, actually the episode previous to the previous episode, about the judge in Amarillo, Texas.
1: 8.50.
2: Who is going to unilaterally be effectively banning the abortion pill. And now we have Walgreens, the nation's... I think, second largest pharmacy chain is is now announcing that it is not going to be providing abortion pills in several states where it remains legal, by the way. So in states yeah. where it remains legal, Walgreens is saying they're not going to dispense the abortion pill. And this comes after basically pressure from several Republican attorneys general who wrote to the company basically threatening legal action. And in this clip, you're going to hear Sarah Varney of Kaiser Health News and Amna Nawaz from PBS discuss the decision.
4: Well, the biggest impact I think right now is just to show that these legal threats work. So right now, abortion medication is not available in these pharmacies. You have to get it from a clinician who has a specific registration with the government, um, or you can get it via some telehealth medicine, uh, some telehealth pharmacies. So it will change nothing on the ground in this moment. But the idea was to really try and actually allow the dispensing of mifepristone in these pharmacies, in communities, so that they were more accessible to women um, in what is uh, typically a very time-sensitive
5: situation. So if you live in one of those states and you're seeking abortion care, what, what will be your options?
4: Well, you could, depending on some of the telehealth restrictions in your state, you could do a telehealth appointment um, with someone outside of the state. You could order it from an online pharmacy like Honey Health, um, Honey Bee Health, rather. Uh, You could order it from Aid Access, which is an organization based in Austria that has been sending mifepristone and um, misoprostol into the United States, um, kind of regardless of what's happening with the legality of abortion in your state.
5: We should mention those same Republican attorneys general have also written to other pharmacies to CVS, Albertsons, Rite Aid, Costco, Walmart and Kroger, demanding that they also refuse to dispense the medication. Do we know if they will?
4: Um, I, I've not heard back from CBS yet, but Rite Aid did say that they would continue to um, uh, uh, monitor the latest federal and state and legal um, um, developments, and that they will continue to evaluate whether or not the company is able to dispense um in those states.
5: And if they do act, if any other pharmacies also decide to take similar action, what does that say to you about the access for these abortion pills?
4: Well, these attorneys generals—I mean, particularly somebody like Steve Marshall from um, Alabama—these are these are very aggressively anti-abortion attorneys generals. Um, st- you know, in Alabama, for instance, they made the suggestion that if they couldn't prosecute women who um, had abortions for homicide, that they might use the state's chemical endangerment law to bring uh, to, to bring charges against women. So these these attorneys generals are getting very creative in how they are trying to figure out how to stop uh, access to abortion, both in clinics, um, how to stop the flow of pills into their state and you know they haven't gone so far as to say we need to be searching the mail um, which is of course run by the federal government but they do say in their letter to these um, pharmacies that um, under a different type of Department of Justice um, that the DOJ would uh, have a different reading of what's called the Comstock Act which was a, a law from the 1800s that's an anti-obscenity law that Um, prevents the mailing of abortion drugs uh, through the mail. The Biden administration has says that's no longer applicable because in these states where abortion is legal, um, that law doesn't apply. But in their letter, the attorneys general say that under a different type of Department of Justice, um, there would be a different reading of that application.
5: Sarah, in the 30 seconds or so we have left, I know you've been reporting on this potential uh, federal judge ruling in Texas as well that could further limit abortion pill access there. When you talk to advocates for abortion rights, what are they telling you about this moment?
4: They're very, very concerned. I mean, this judge in Amarillo, Texas, um, you know, he has, he's a devout Christian. He is um, a devout anti-abortion um, activist. And um, I think they're very concerned that if he were to uh, rule in favor of this um, Christian legal organization, that Mifepristone would disappear off the market in every state in the country.
1: If this is not a glaring example of why elections matter, you're not paying attention. If this does not shine a bright light on the fact that voting matters, your individual vote matters, you are not paying attention. When she says there that their contention is that under a different Department of Justice, there would be a different reading of this law that tells you the future. They are predicting the future. They are telling you that if Donald Trump gets elected or Meatball Ron DeSantis gets elected, Tiny D, which might be the new nickname, hilarious. Um, We got a problem on our hands. We've witnessed the weaponization of the Justice Department under Donald Trump, trying to use the power and weight of the United States Justice Department to promote election lies and end American democracy. If If it can be used for that, if you don't think it'll be used for this, you're not paying attention.
2: Well, and Walgreens making this decision that they're not going to dispense the abortion pills even when it is legal, right. is is very disturbing because we have a preemptive move before there's an actual action that forces their hand where they're making the choice when when they don't they don't have to.
1: Rather than using the power of their position in our capitalist system to pressure the government, to pressure these local governments, to th- they're 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 part of the problem. They're absolutely not the tip of the spear of the problem, but they're succumbing before it's even needed to the pressure of these Christo fascists.
2: Right. And they likely see things like what happened with Ron DeSantis in Disney and they see that when companies are in states with Republicans like Ron DeSantis, they could, you know, face potentially politically motivated actions yeah. against them. But still, I mean, you're a pharmacy. You are providing life-saving medication. This is an important role. This it, isn't, you know, Disney World in Florida. Yeah, sh- this <laughs> I mean, I understand just... Disney World has a lot of jobs and it actually, you know. I'm not... Yeah, but they're not
1: in a helping profession.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is life-saving medication we're talking about.
1: It is. I mean, this is, this is uh, aiding and abetting fascism is what this is and they're using profitability as an excuse. Oh, we can't get involved in this. This will this will hurt our bottom line. What about the customers that you, you you were there ostensibly to help, to help? Just gross.
2: Yeah, scary.
1: Anyway, we'd love to know what you think. 657-464-7609, of course. You can email a voicemail from your smartphone to idoubtit@dallamore.com. Dalemocracy
6: facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism.
2: So Donald Trump was at CPAC this weekend, and he delivered the keynote address. <laughs> I,
1: uh, um, I did videos about this yesterday. CPAC in general, some of the th- things that were said and talked about, and uh, it, it is it was a sparsely attended CPAC. And I don't know why why that is, but even when Donald Trump was speaking, I saw video of of the crowd, and the room is far more than half empty. And when Kimberly Guilfoyle was speaking and Don Jr. was speaking and so many others were speaking, it was a practical, I'm just crickets in there. It was empty. Hmm. So I don't know what that portends, uh, if just people aren't willing to give of their, their, their income to pay for a ticket for CPAC. But CPAC... Like every year, maybe worse this year, was a parade of bad ideas, of dangerous ideas, of a steady, um, increasingly fast march toward fascism, and that includes the speech of Donald Trump.
7: Donald Trump tonight grabbing the harness of the MAGA base. I'm thrilled to be back at CPAC. The type of Republican activist he's relying on to catapult him back into the White House.
8: We're going to see this battle through to ultimate victory. We're going to make America great again.
7: CPAC, the annual conservative gathering, a wild scene of Republican enthusiasts and a crowd overwhelmingly supportive of Trump's 2024 bid. Donald Trump. I'm a MAGA guy through and through. There's nobody stopping him. What are people coming to buy? Uh, It's like 30 to 1, Trump over DeSantis. An arena most other possible Republican contenders opted to avoid, except for Nikki Haley, the only major declared challenger to Trump.
3: If you're tired of losing, put your trust in a new generation. Haley
7: heckled by several on her way out. A straw poll taken at CPAC shows attendees favoring Trump over Florida Governor Ron DeSantis by more than 40 points. DeSantis did not attend CPAC and is yet to announce a presidential run. Why should he not be the presidential candidate for Republicans? Well, he can be if he wants to be. Why should the folks not turn to him if he makes the case of being a new generation? Well, I think leader?
8: I've done something that nobody else has been able to do.
7: The conference here filled with Trump allies, including former Brazilian president Jair Bolsonaro. Bolsonaro made unsubstantiated claims of a stolen election in his home country, his supporters attacking the Capitol in January. He gave us his first on-camera interview with a U.S. TV outlet since losing his re-election bid. Would you urge uh, others around the world to resist the election denialism that we have seen play out in America and Brazil? What we want is transparency, he said, and we want to respect the will of the people.
8: And Vaughn joins us now from CPAC. Vaughn, the former president won after the investigations into him as well
7: that's right Jose former president Trump openly talking about those investigations to the CPRAC crowd from New York to Washington DC to Georgia several of them expected to conclude soon and he suggested to the crowd that these were purely political ploys to get in the way of his own presidential campaign Jose
2: so it's all the same and nothing has changed, and maybe that's why people are not going to CPAC because it's not worth spending their money to hear the things that they can read on Truth Social. Yeah. Or,
1: <laughs> well, I think that it's it's a it, it's a strategy on the part of Donald Trump and his campaign staff that he can't draw the crowds like he used to. The the energy and the fervor for wanting to see him and the the rabid nature of a Trump rally. It just fizzled. So, like when he was in South Carolina, they did it at the state capitol with just a smattering of people. And it seems to be kind of following along here.
2: Yeah. Well, McKay Coppins in The Atlantic wrote about CPAC. And I didn't read it, but the the theme seemed to be that it was boring and that Donald Trump is kind of a low energy Jeb lately. And we commented on that even when he announced that he was going to be running for president. Yeah,
1: tepid applause. He he doesn't have the energy anymore.
2: Yeah, he does still have the word salad, though. And <laughs> uh, I know that you're thinking, you know, he's been speaking before the public for a long time. He should really kind of have his talking points ready to go. And it should just be second nature at this point. He doesn't need to think about it. Well, that's not the case.
8: We have oil and gas, but we don't want the oil and gas cars. But we want everything, including electric cars, but we also want gasoline because the cars go longer and they are preferred by many people. We don't like quick drives that a stopped for two and a half hours. It's April Fool's.
2: What? Yeah, what is he talking about? Like, I know, like, I got
1: the part about, we, we, we don't, did he say we don't like
2: oil and gas? We have oil and gas, but we don't want the oil and gas cars. But we want everything, including electric cars, but we also want gasoline because the cars go longer, is basically the summary there.
1: <sighs> wow. Mm-hmm. He Listen, this might come as a surprise to everybody, but... uh he kind of changed my mind. <laughs> I think I might vote Trump this time.
2: Oh, okay. That yeah.
1: really, that's a, a lucid policy prescription for America right there.
2: Yeah, well, we know that Donald Trump has been under pressure to stop talking about how the election was stolen, and he's, he's, he can't stop, won't stop.
8: The disinformation people say, they are great at disinformation. The one we want to run against is Trump. Do you ever hear that? Oh, we want to run against Trump. Even though I'm leading every one of these guys, and even though I won the second election, okay, I won it by a lot. You know, when they say, when they say
2: Biden won, the smart
1: smart people know that didn't happen. But right now- The smart people know that didn't happen.
2: It's just, what is his plan here? Because he's telling everyone, you need to vote for me. Okay, but he's also saying, I won the last election when you voted for me, and I didn't end up in office because they, they stole the election right. from me. But hey, let's try it again. Let's try it again. Go ahead and vote for me again. Right, yeah. And even though I'm not telling you how it's going to be different this time, like what I'm going to do to ensure that I get into the White House, just go ahead and let's try this again.
1: It is a remarkable thing. I mean, even looking back on what took place last election, where he's telling people, don't do early voting. Don't do mail-in ballots. Don't do that. Show up on the day. And then when that backfired because fewer people voted.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know what the plan is.
1: It's just nonsense. It's the same thing Carrie Lake is doing right now, continuing she she is now making claims that somebody came to her home, we don't have a clip for it. I'm just off the cuff here. Somebody came to her home and offered her millions of dollars to not run for the Senate seat in 2024. And she told them I wouldn't because they don't want her. She's too dangerous for them or whatever. Mm-hmm. And she said, I wouldn't do it for a for hundred million dollars because my role, I belong in the governor's office. That's what I won. I deserve to be it just it's a continuation. It's a grift. Mm-hmm. I mean that's that is why Donald Trump is continuing to do this, because he's making millions and millions and millions of dollars through fundraising. That our laws are so loose on how that money gets spent, Ugh, it's just fucking gross. But the 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 real dangerous thing about his particular appearance at CPAC was this speech at the end where he's talking about I am your warrior, I am your uh, your your retribution. He's talking about vengeance that whips the crowd, small albeit into a frenzy
8: we don't have free press we don't have free anything in 2016 i declared i am your voice today i add i am your warrior i am your justice and for those who have been wronged and betrayed i am your retribution i am your retribution the
2: the thing that's i mean it's it's terrible it's terrifying it's not good but it's kind of funny to hear him saying like ominous phrases in the tone that he's saying them in. You know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I am your retribution. Like it's not believable because what tone is he using there as he's making these threats? <laughs> you know, it, it's well, I think it comes along. With,
1: I think it comes along with the the low energy Jeb nature. Mm. But he's he's lost a step. I mean, we're you know when you get to be seventy five, it's it's like have you ever had a dog that goes from very healthy to dead inside of a week like just they just a dramatic decline in health
2: Got dark pretty quickly well it's kind
1: of like what's going on with donald trump when you get that old you're good you're good you're good and all of a sudden oh shit nope dead and i don't know if he's gonna die but he's certainly on that downward spiral of he's always been a little cognitively uh goose if you know what i mean yeah man woman camera <laughs> You know, whatever.
2: No, he aced the mocha, so I don't know (laughs) what you're talking about. No
1: one's ever seen a score as high.
2: So the the race is heating up with another person announcing that they are seeking the presidential nomination, this time going against Joe Biden, Mm. and it is a name that you may recall because she has run for president in in the past, especially
1: those of you who might be vaccine hesitant.
2: Well, no, I think this is more for the people who are like, can we get more grifters that Oprah promoted and elevated? Can uh, we get more of like these spiritual advisor types who are like self-help gurus that wrote books about professional self-help?
1: life coach. Marianne
3: Williamson.
2: Marianne Williamson has, has announced that she is running for president.
3: We're all here because we care about this country. But we're all here, or at least many of us are, because we are upset about this country. We're worried about this country. We're concerned about this country. And we know that this country is plagued by many challenges now. Not the least of which is hatred and division, which is greater than any of us have experienced in our national life. And it is our job to create a vision of justice and love that is so powerful that it will override the forces of hatred and injustice and fear. that we have This government is now more than not a system of legalized bribery. And this system will not change itself. The status quo, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone else, will not disrupt itself. That's our job. It's time for us to look in the mirror as Americans and face the very painful fact Government of the people, by the people, and for the people is perishing now. This government is now a government of the corporations, by the corporations, and for the corporations. I'm so glad that President Trump did not win the last election. That means we didn't go over the cliff. But I'll tell you something, we're still six inches away from it. We are six inches... We are six inches away from the cliff in terms of the state of our democracy. We are six inches away from the cliff in terms of the state of our environment. We are six inches away from the cliff in terms of the state of our economy. So I'm... Economy.
2: I'm (laughs) sure that she is a nice person... I don't want to be dismissive and... That's my job. ...and shitty about her. That is
1: definitely my job. But
2: again, I am just inherently suspicious of anyone who positions themselves as a self-help guru who writes advice books for people and who is labeled a spiritual leader. And I I just I'm a little suspicious of these types. And we've we've had enough of them, I think. And when I brought up when I brought Oprah into this, it's because I'm thinking of people like Dr. Phil, Dr. Oz, yeah. these people who were elevated to a position to be dispensing advice to people who have turned out to be not not great for society. And specifically with Marianne Williamson and her anti-vax views that you alluded to previously, Jesse, some of this came up when she was running for president last time. And she has had or has a radio show that was called Living Miraculously. (laughs) Right. And in January 2012, she brought someone on to talk about vaccines and talked about how she really agonized that's a quote, over the decision to vaccinate her children because she can see both sides of the issue. And the guest that she had on her show at the time said that they knew a number of people who were vaccinated and then later diagnosed with autism. And Marianne Williamson responded, yes, absolutely. So bringing on someone who is repeating these myths and falsehoods about vaccines, agreeing with them, giving someone a platform to spread them, and then... During the pandemic, Marianne Williamson actually had to issue an apology because she called the mandatory vaccines Orwellian and Draconian. Yeah. And she had to write in a tweet her apology that many vaccines are important and save lives. Many, which is a qualifier. Right. Right. No, not all of them. Not just vaccines. Many. It's pandering
1: to her skeptic audience. It is. Yeah.
2: Exactly. It's the same kind of thing that Bill Maher does. Bill Maher will talk about certain vaccines as being very important.
1: Yeah, the ones he's already gotten, like MMR. <laughs> yeah. Measles, mumps, and rubella.
2: And then he will talk about, well, but the COVID vaccine. I mean, that's right. another story, you yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah. We got to have a lengthy conversation about that.
1: Yeah. It, it is... Um... <sighs> First of all, let's say this. Listen... Uh, There are people that I respect who I'm connected to on Facebook who are, like, advocating for her candidacy or at the very least not speaking out against it. And it's very strange to me. Let me say this. Someone can hold good views. Someone can be against the corporate nature of our country, how much much power corporations have, and still be wildly unqualified to be president of the United States of America someone who's saying we need to create love so powerful it can't be counteracted what the well I don't want a pastor I don't want a guru I don't want someone who just gives impassioned speeches I want someone who can actually run the executive branch of the United States government and make people's lives better I want someone who can be a functioning, capable commander-in-chief of the United States Armed Forces, all of which are roles of the President of the United States. Marianne Williams ain't that. Her anti-vax or vax-hesitant stances notwithstanding, her thinking that crystals have some healing power notwithstanding, She's not ready for prime time and she never will be. It bothers me when I see people on Twitter who like her candidacy is picking up. What this is, is another anti-establishment. She's not part of the system. She'll be able to break it or no, 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 no. She's a grifter. She's a charlatan.
2: Well, and Joe Biden's press secretary was under some fire because she kind of snarky or something yeah Yeah. mocked Marianne Williamson by saying like she didn't have a crystal ball and wasn't like tracking her (laughs) you know what
1: how is that fucking wrong
2: well and a lot of people on the left on Twitter were condemning that and saying that it was unnecessary and I agree I also think it unfortunately kind of gives Marianne Williamson the ability to then use that as a promotional tool for her campaign to say you know look at Look at, look at Biden, he doesn't want me to be running against him. This is how they treat me. This is how they treat people like us. You yeah. know, I don't, I don't know if she's doing that yet, but I'm just saying I think that that could be used as an opportunity to do something like yeah, that, which if is if unfortunate.
1: For, if she has a good campaign team, it will be used. Mm-hmm. Biden's press secretary should have said, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to comment on the campaign. I'm, that's not my role here. I'm, I'm someone who speaks to policy. You know? Yeah. And she didn't. She she weighed in and made a snarky remark, which, by the way, is funny and correct, but it's not her job.
2: Yeah, and I think to give her some credit, I think it is difficult in those situations, obviously, where you're being hammered with questions to always do the right thing. I mean... It's similar to being on this show, you know, and we'll talk about the responses that we got to our previous episode, where some people are unhappy with our tone or some people are unhappy with this. And it's hard in the moment to know exactly how to respond. But I feel like there's certain jobs where you have to repress your personality. And the press secretary is probably one of those jobs where when you are active in that role you kind of need to take whatever personality you have and shove it down <laughs> and just present as like this professional person.
1: It's definitely that because you're also not giving your own opinion on matters. You're giving the opinions of the administration and the president of the United States.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, anytime any of the press secretaries have tried to be a little like, ha ha, let's do some jokey time. It doesn't always, <laughs> it doesn't always land. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah.
1: So um, welcome, Marianne Williamson, to the uh, presidential race. Yes. I hope you fail miserably as you did last time.
2: All right. So we <laughs> we started a new segment, Good News, Bad News. This is not that segment. But this is a similar segment that I would like to start because as I get clips for things, I come across these news stories where people talk about and report on issues That they make seem like a positive, uplifting story when it's not. And really is just representative of a policy failure in this country.
1: Yeah. And then don't report on the overarching policy failure.
2: Yes. Or they will talk about, you know, something needing donations and not even really that it's like a positive, uplifting story. They'll just report that, like, an agency needs donations because a policy went away but again, they don't give yeah. the context for how this is a policy failure that this is happening. And we have two specific examples for you on this issue. And we're going to take it back to Idaho again. If the West Ada County School District, they are asking for donations to pay for student lunch balances.
4: Digging for change. The West Ada School District is looking for donations to help cover school lunches. During National School Breakfast Week, which is next week, the district is asking people to make monetary donations to cover student meal balances that were previously covered by COVID-19 waivers. If a balance is uncollected, the West Ada School District general fund pays for it, meaning funds get pulled from other programs. The district hopes to reduce the number of uncollected accounts to ensure the success of students and families if you're interested in helping students with outstanding balances, just head on over to our website, ktvb.com, and you'll find out more information in this story.
2: So, not only is this not explaining that this <laughs> is a horrifying policy failure in our country, they came up with a catchy line to intro the story, digging for change. Yeah. Before they then say that a school district. Is asking people to make donations. Yeah, this
1: isn't a crowdfunding GoFundMe for low-income kids who have uh, balances on their lunch accounts. This is the actual government asking for people to donate.
2: Yes, and she noted there that during the pandemic there were waivers. Lunch was free, we were able to do that. The yeah. government was able to provide free school lunch, and they stopped doing that. And they can continue to do that. That's yes. something they can continue to do.
1: But this is, one, Idaho, the fascist republic of Idaho, which does not support public schools in a way that it should. I mean, really, no state supports public sh- schools in a way that it should, but certainly not Idaho. Idaho.
2: Well, and I I just want to say this was my, my school district, and I got free school lunch, and I got free breakfast, and I will tell you, my life was very difficult in elementary school. My home life was very difficult, and I remember being dropped off at school and feeling like it was a sense of reprieve being out of my house for a period of time. And I would walk into the cafeteria, and I would get breakfast. Oftentimes, it was a carton of milk and a little thing of Rice Krispies, which would go right down my gullet and be so delicious. (laughs) Yeah. And I would get toast, and it would be covered in butter, like a thick thing of butter. And I would just sit there with my orange juice and eat, and it would be the comfort that I needed. I'm like, okay, I'm sitting in this cafeteria. I finally have a break from the hell that is my house, Mm -hmm. and I'm getting this comfort with my breakfast. And that's what kids deserve. That is what they should have. That is the benefit of having free school lunch. When your life is already hard, you shouldn't have to then worry about whether or not you have a balance or you're going to be able to get a breakfast or you're going to be able to get a lunch. And it is, I mean, this is the context that I feel like these stories need to offer. And I understand that reporters feel they have a role, and they need to be very fact-based and remove the emotion. But through that news story, you are informing how people believe what they believe about this issue. And if they walk away from that going, huh, there was a pandemic waiver that's no longer in place. And oh, the school district wants donations. And there's no context for how there it doesn't have to be this way. A school district asking people for money so that kids can have food. Yeah, that was
1: 30 some seconds. They could have added another 30 seconds, just another 30 seconds and give the fuller context of how this is a failure or a decision by the government to no longer fund food for children. Right. Food for children who are in the custody of the government at that moment. Your kids go to school. The the government should be feeding them while they're in custody. They have to be there. It's legally mandated for your children to go to school. Why the fuck are they not feeding them while they're there? What? It, It doesn't... It doesn't make any sense just on the face of the policy. But, of course, this is about pull yourself up with your bootstraps. Those kids, why don't they have a job? They can't, they can't pay their own fucking lunch. Yeah. It's gross.
2: So we have another story for you that is going to be painting a picture of a very uplifting story. And, I mean, we want to give this kid credit. It's about an 8-year-old who raised money for his favorite waiter at Waffle House. And we want to give credit to this 8-year-old kid who who did a good thing we don't want to dismiss that we we don't want to wash over that but the point here is that an eight-year-old had to recognize what was going on with his favorite waiter at a Waffle House go to his family and say we need to do something because no one but an eight-year-old was going to do something
9: every weekend the Hunter family goes to Waffle House for breakfast and every weekend Kazan asks to sit in Devante Gardner's section. Why is he your favorite? Because he's really funny, he treats everyone with respect.
1: Kaysen's a great guy. Ever since I met him the first time I met him when he came to my Waffle house, we connected and bonded right there.
9: During a recent family visit, the hunters learned Devante was forced to walk or hitch a ride to work due to car troubles.
0: Kazan came home. And was like, Mom, we have to start Devontae a GoFundMe.
9: The 29-year-old father of two was forced to move out of his apartment and into a motel because of black mold.
1: I still have my daughters to take care of. That's, that's my main focus right now.
9: With his parents' help, Kaysen set his plan into action, quickly surpassing his initial $5,000 goal.
1: My mouth just dropped. I got phone with her, start crying like, oh my God.
9: When the GoFundMe surpassed 30000 bucks, Devontae knew he'd be able to rent a new apartment with his wife and their two girls. What will you tell your daughters about this one day? There are some good people in this world. Devontae and Kazen and their families bonded together forever by kindness and a side of hash browns.
1: When Kazen graduates, make sure you let me know I would be there elementary, middle school, high school, and college. I would be there all the way around.
2: So, again, a very nice thing that this 8-year-old kid did. Very- yeah,
1: in the, in the, the void here that they don't talk about is in absence of government programs that are going to help this man get on his feet and not flounder and not have to walk to work and to be able to support his wife and two kids, an 8-year-old has to start a GoFundMe. Yeah, and it's not even, there's not even a nary a mention of that. I mean, there's, it, it doesn't come up.
2: Yeah, no, they celebrate this, which again, good job for this eight-year-old kid. But there's greater context. Everything you just said and the fact that you essentially have to win the GoFundMe lottery. Right. You have to find someone who's who's willing to get you the GoFundMe. And then you have to make a GoFundMe that gets traction and takes off.
1: Yeah. How many GoFundMes have you ever seen that have like, $25 on the on the $25,000 goal. It is you have to be lucky enough to have the 8-year-old who takes notice, lucky enough for the 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 8-year-old to have the the parents say yes, and then you have to be lucky enough for that GoFundMe for whatever reason to go viral.
2: Right. So yeah. you have I mean we're living in a country where GoFundMe is the like de facto public policy it is yeah
1: it's very interesting to me too i was going to say funny and it is kind of a hilarious when i see conservatives here give to this someone close to me Mm. recently um go give to this this family their medical bills go give to their gofundme Mm. how about support fucking policies for medicaid for all medicare for all and uh we won't need gofundmes because it'll be paid for out of the collective ugh
2: yeah so when you hear these stories this hopefully will kind of put in put into context for you what you should be hearing <laughs> and what you're not hearing
1: we'd love to know what you think 6574647609 of course you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to i doubt com. It's the asshole of today.
2: The Oak Lawn Police Department.
1: Another police department. Asshole of today.
2: Yes, the Oak Lawn Police Department. I showed you a clip, Jesse, because this, this was quite the image. There was an officer that restrained a teen beat him, hit him uh, more than 10 times in the head with a closed fist while holding him by the head and his hair. The teen spent six days in a hospital for fractures to his face, skull, and pelvis, as well as swelling in the brain. So this officer was charged, felony charges. He is pled not guilty. He appeared in court surrounded by...
1: This was what was even... It just put extra disgusting... On top of the, the shit cupcake.
2: Surrounded by officers in support of him.
0: Terrell, the courtroom was filled with Oakland police officers supporting one of their own officer Patrick O'Donnell in his first court appearance this morning. Now facing two counts of aggravated battery and two counts of official misconduct, the judge ordered 32-year-old Patrick O'Donnell, an Oakland p- police officer of eight and a half years, to pay a $75,000 i bond. The incident happened last July while conducting a traffic stop. Oakland police said they smelled marijuana coming from the car they pulled over. Body cameras captured 17-year-old Hari Abutala running from officers. Eventually, officers stopped him in the street. Video released by Oakland shows officers hitting that teenager. Police say Abutala had a long bag with a gun in it and just wouldn't let go of that bag. Oakland police say a gun was recovered after the arrest incident and after an investigation, the Cook County State's Attorney's Office decided to indict Officer O'Donnell, saying he, along with two other officers, held down the teenager, hit him repeatedly, causing massive injuries.
9: Yeah, I mean, if, if the officer of Officer O'Donnell and acted and how he was trained. You know, it really speaks to the point of look at what's wrong with policing in this state. If if officers are trained that while two other adults are restraining a child, you repeatedly punch them in the face, you grab their hair and repeatedly punch them in the face and you break their nose and you fracture their pelvis and you cause internal bleeding in their brain, what is wrong with policing in this state? That's not acceptable. What's up, brother?
0: Bob was hospitalized for his injury. He still faces a gun charge in juvenile court. Officer O'Donnell is on administrative leave pending the investigation. His parents have filed a civil rights lawsuit against the Oak Lawn officers involved. Officer O'Donnell will make his next court appearance on April 6th.
2: So I believe that was an activist that you heard speaking there. And the activist was responding to the police chief, the Oak Lawn police chief, who has actually defended this officer's actions, saying that they were in line. With their training. Yeah. So you heard the activist say, oh, so it's in line with training to hold someone down and punch them in the head repeatedly. And you heard these, a fracture to the face, skull, pelvis, swelling in the brain, six days in the hospital, three grown men on top of a 17-year-old. Right. And the cops, of course, are claiming that- I, Take
1: this with a grain of salt. How, uh, how many times have we heard- This is not for you, Brittany. This is for the audience. Uh, How many times have we heard cops lie about the incident that they get accused of?
2: Yeah, and that's why I said, of course, they're claiming that the 17-year-old refused to follow the commands and was reaching for a shoulder bag that contained a handgun.
1: How do they know there's a gun in there? They're just beating him, and then after the fact, they find a gun, allegedly. But here's the deal. Prosecute him for the gun charge if he had a gun illegally, prosecute him for the gun. But you don't get to exact punishment on the scene. You are not a judge, you are not a jury, you're a cop that arrests and enters that person into the system to face justice by our dispassionate justice system. Doesn't matter if he resists, your job is to get him under control without beating the fuck out of him rendering him hospitalized with a fractured pelvis and broken nose and internal bleeding Mm -hmm. in his brain
2: yeah it's it's uh, alarming. Three dozen officers showed up to support him. And the police chief, obviously, making these statements. So, all
1: good apples. Just a bunch of good apples showing up to, to support their good apple. Right. Get when the we, fuck out of here. When
2: we talk about policing issues on the show, this is what we're talking about. And after all of the protests, after all of the body cam footage, after all of the quote-unquote progress that we have, we're supposed to be seeing, this is still where we're at. Someone beats... A cop beats a teenager in the street, putting him in the hospital for six days. And three dozen cops show up to support him like a gang but around him going looked, into the courtroom.
1: That's, that's what I was waiting to say. It did look like a gang. Like they showed up. They were surrounding him like they were his protective detail. Exactly. Fucking gross. Yeah, horrifying. Ugh. We'd love to know what you think. Six five seven four six four seventy six zero nine. Of course, you can email it. at dollamore.com.
2: taking care of biz dr jim o'connell
1: dr jim o'connell
2: dr jim o'connell is a
1: cop was last name was o'connell too
2: Two different O'Connells. <laughs>
1: <Right>. <laughs> O'Connell v. O'Connell here on I Doubt It Podcast.
2: Two very different O'Connells. Dr. Jim O'Connell is a Boston doctor who I recently read this, this New York Times article about him. I think the title of the New York Times article was something like You Have to Learn to Listen and that article was based on a book by Tracy Kidder called Rough Sleepers which is what Dr. Jim O'Connell you, the term he uses to refer to the people that he helps who are homeless people who street, sleep on the streets and the the subtitle of the book is J- Dr. Jim O'Connell's urgent mission to bring healing to homeless people and i was reading this New York Times article and and we were on the couch and I start bawling and you look over at me and you're like, what's going on? And this article had such an impact on me that I immediately ordered this book and I'm halfway through this book. And...
1: You got the book like two days ago. I can't... It's it's a quick read for you.
2: I can't say enough about Dr. Jim O'Connell who wasn't originally going to work with the homeless population, but people in his medical program sat him down and, and he was headed toward working in oncology. Mm. And they sat him down and they wanted him to to work with the homeless. And he thought, you know, I'll do it for a year. And once I have this year out of my way, then I'll, I'll be headed on to bigger and better things and working in oncology. And he worked for a year with homeless in Boston and decided to stay. And he is an older man, an older gentleman now. And he still goes out in a van and meets people where they are and treats them like human beings and I think his model for working with people should be extended across the world.
6: Two nights a week for 30 years, Dr. Jim O'Connell has done exactly this. I don't remember me from oh, before. Jesus. How are you, by the way? What's going on? Fulfilling the healer's oath with Boston's homeless. This patient this night, Michael, tells us he spent a good portion of his life in prison. He was
8: right here. Right there.
6: As his regrets spill out, O'Connell tends to the cut hand. Thank you, O'Connell urges Michael to come to a clinic. No telling if he'll show. Who's out here? Who's out on the streets? Oh it's a real mix of people for example you know about 25% of the men that we'll see out here cannot read or write He says most have endured significant trauma physical psychological many self medicate are addicted and little did I understand how complicated it was. And you can do a lot to ease their suffering and help them out, even though you may not end their homelessness. saying, i just get your hot chocolate, too. A classroom whiz at Notre Dame, he studied philosophy and theology, then Harvard Medical School. You know what? People would look at that and say, why the hell is that guy out here? You know, I don't know exactly how to answer that, but I was lucky to be thrown into it and lucky that it hit the right nerves for me lucky for the patients of the Boston Health Care for the Homeless program he helped build. The envy of many a city.
8: I love this place. It's really, really all I have in my life.
6: How are you? O'Connell seems to have a special instinct for people at risk. His most important skill, listening. Learned in his years as a bartender. His life's work featured in a new book. Should we be more empathetic? As a public... Yeah, I think that's a tall order for a public, but I would say if the public had a chance to see what we've been watching for years, you couldn't help but be empathetic. Harry Smith, NBC News,
1: Boston. At least he's realistic. Yeah. I think that's a tall order for the public to be deeply empathetic.
2: So I'm getting emotional again just listening to, to him and again reading this book, Um We talk a lot on the show about homelessness, and similar to the trans issue, we've had pushback from people on the left.
1: Already, since we did our episode yesterday.
2: Well, and I'm talking about the homelessness issue specifically. like We got a lot of pushback from people on the left and their own frustrations with experiences they've had with people experiencing homelessness. And I keep coming back to this question of how am I going to convince people to have more compassion in this area? And when I when I heard Dr. O'Connell say what he just said, I feel like maybe that's the thing, you know, that if you had been out there doing the work that he's doing, it would be impossible to not have empathy, to not see the stories and how difficult people's lives have been and what they've been put through and what they're trying to do to survive and I feel like a lot of people go through their life and they're like, well, my life is hard too. And it's like, yeah, everyone's life is hard. You know, it's just, right. it's hard in different ways. And I, I wish that more people could have that perspective of take away how difficult your life has been. Just put that aside for a second and evaluate someone else's life separate from yours. You know, it's what therapists are trained to do. Like what if your therapist, every time you sat down with them, was comparing all of your life experiences to their life experiences. Yeah, right. right. Like you said that you went through this trauma and your therapist was like, okay, and yeah, guess what I've been through.
1: Right. You yeah.
2: know, y- you have to set that aside.
1: They're starving children out there. You should buck up.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's dismissive. And so when he talks about listening to people's stories and meeting them where they're at, and and you can't see this clip, but in in the first patient that he's talking to there's like an open wound that he starts dealing with and and he immediately goes in and puts hands on him and is taking him into his care and you can just see he's 75 years old he's been doing this for decades and he still is in this van I mean he's a 75 year old doctor he's in this van he's going out and he's giving street medicine to people because that's what he feels is most effective and I I am just endlessly inspired by, by this man
1: the other thing is when you watch the clip the 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 man the old man he doesn't have a tooth in his head and he says this is the only place this is the best thing in my life this is the only thing i have in my life is this clinic that how does that not move people that these people are in the struggle that that guy doesn't choose he's not choosing to be homeless he's he's in a situation beyond his control out of his control and he needs help i don't know i this is an issue and i've been brought around to it more passionately by you and your your concern about the issue but it is goddamn. i mean these are real human beings who are going through it and people want them to not exist they want they're invisible at the least and and derided at the worst it's it's not it's not great.
2: Yeah. So if you want to learn more about Dr. Jim O'Connell, then I would recommend picking up this book by Tracy Kidder, Rough Sleepers. Uh, like I said, I'm halfway through it. It's, it's fantastic if you are looking for more information on this issue from someone who has been on the ground for decades working with the population. And I will say one thing that this book does very well. I was reading it last night and I was like scoffing at certain parts and you're like, oh, what, what was that? And I'm like reading, reading what they're writing about Ronald Reagan.
1: Oh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. the
2: policies that Ronald Reagan put into place and the things that Ronald Reagan said about the homeless population. And so the thing that they're doing really well in this book or that Tracy Kidder is doing really well in this book is talking about the political implications and the policies that, that created the homelessness crisis that we are looking at now. So I would highly recommend the book and Dr. Jim O'Connell is taking care of his
1: Thank you very much, you guys. We love you. We appreciate you. Once again, we would ask that if you are in a financial position to do so, and only if you are, if you have to budget in support for the show, your listenership is absolutely enough. Thank you for that and your loyalty there. But if you do have some throwaway money that you'd like to help the show produce, that you'd like to help produce the show with.
2: (laughs) You got there.
1: Go to uh, patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast, pick a tier, and we would love to have you help us do what we do. Uh, we will see you next time until we do for Brittany Page. I'm Jesse Dalimore, and this indeed has been I Doubt. Welcome to BreezeLine, where you'll say, ta-ta, T-Mobile. Our home internet is just plain better, more reliable and faster because we put internet first. If there's network congestion, we won't slow your internet down like T-Mobile does to help their sell customers. And right now, you can try out a true internet experience with BreezeLine's reliable and fast fiber-powered home internet. Find your perfect speed with prices starting at $19.99 a month for 24 months. Terms and conditions apply. Go to BreezeLine.com to learn more.